If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I am anxious to share with you what I have been shown. The Bible says that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. And so today, I hope y'all came hungry. Matthew chapter 5. For our guest, we've been walking through this book of the Bible piece by piece. But today we come to verse 13, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, and we've concluded one section of the book. We've really concluded one chapter of the sermon series as we close out the Sermon on the Mount, but this one today is directly connected. It's a bridge between this chapter of the series and the next, between this section of the Sermon on the Mount and the next. So let's read God's Word together. Would you please stand? in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter five, I'll begin in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would illuminate and empower your holy word and drive it into every life today, every situation today, every circumstance. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as we read this passage, it's directly connected to the Beatitudes. And this is yet another opportunity for me to lay down some hermeneutical principles Like how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible. You never study a passage in isolation. We have to remember that there's 66 books, over 40 authors, but one story, one story written by one God, and it's all connected. So as I preach on a specific passage, or maybe you're in a Bible reading plan, and every day you read a portion of the scripture, you got to back up and keep the big picture in mind, the aerial view, that we can never take a passage in isolation. It's always connected to something that happened before, and something is flowing into something that happens after it. The saltiness and the light are byproducts of what Jesus just taught. The saltiness of the the kingdom person and the illumination of the kingdom person, those that have pledged their allegiance to the king of kings, those that have stepped out of one lifestyle into another, those that have been living by by a, a worldly code of conduct, now we're living by a kingdom code of conduct. Those that were in the darkness, now we're in the light. Those that were under the wrath of God and headed towards hell are now in the righteousness of Christ and headed towards heaven. The Beatitudes are connected to the the passage that we're studying today. You know, in the original, 
the, 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 the section headings and the chapter breaks and the verses are helpful for study, but they create a challenge when it, when it breaks the original flow of the message. Jesus was the greatest preacher on the planet and he's preaching the greatest sermon ever given right here. And there's not a chapter break in his sermon. There's not a, a section break like there is in my Bible. So if you look back and you see what Jesus just taught on, right? And I, and I preached on this several weeks ago, but in verse 11 and 12, for Jesus, this is flow of thought. So he goes from blessed are, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. We need to read it as the flow. If we embody these truths, if we are poor in spirit, if we are those who mourn, if we are meek, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, if we are merciful, if we are pure in heart, if we are peacemakers, then we will have salt, spiritual salt. Then we will live an illuminated life. The last thing Jesus says is significant here because it's the only beatitude that he repeated. Intentional repetition for emphasis. The last thing Jesus said was, you're gonna have a hard time. Kingdom people go against the flow of our society, of our culture. You're gonna get some splinters when you rub your hand against the grain of the wood. You're going to get resistance. Kingdom people are going to have some difficulty living out their life, living out their faith in this world. But how are we to respond to that? How we respond to persecution, how we respond to difficulty determines the wattage of our faith. If I were to ask you, because we have you know 20 watt bulbs, 50 watt bulbs, 100 watt bulbs, 200 watt bulbs and on up, right? If I were to ask you right now, what wattage is your faith? If you were to be honest, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, is there like a, is there a one watt bulb? Let's be honest. Some of us are, we're, we're one watt followers, right? Some of us are like, oh, I'm kind of a 20, maybe a 25, 50. Some of you guys are blazing. Like I used to have a spotlight and it was in candle power, right? It was a million candle power spotlight. And some of you are like that. Your faith is on fire. You're living this illuminated life. You're a 500 watt follower of Christ. But how, how do we respond? How do we increase our wattage? We'll get to more of that in just a minute. But it's not just a pep rally. It's like coming to church and everybody's, everybody's firing each other up. Listen, it's how we respond to difficulty that determines our spiritual wattage. Jesus says, rejoice. This is so counterintuitive, y'all. This is so countercultural. This will make us shine as stars in the night sky. Rejoice in the midst of difficulty and persecution. When we are beat up by our circumstances, kingdom people rejoice. To rejoice when we are pummeled by disease. To rejoice when we are pulverized by a marriage. To rejoice when we are bombarded by relationships. To rejoice when we are defeated by finances. To rejoice when we are besieged by a job situation. To rejoice when we are slandered by the church. Kingdom people rejoice. This will set you apart. So the Bible says, 
Not just attending on Sunday, but what happens this afternoon when you are offended? What happens tomorrow when someone offends you? What happens when we struggle financially? What happens when we struggle physically? How we respond in those hard moments are the greatest opportunities for our faith to shine, for our faith to flavor the world around us. We rejoice rather than retaliate. We rejoice rather than complain. In Philippians chapter two, do everything without complaining or arguing. I tried to get my kids to memorize this verse. (laughs) Say, do you remember that? Do everything. Unfortunately, my four-year-old doesn't comprehend this yet. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Listen, then you will shine among them as stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. That's what, the Bible, that's what Jesus is saying here on a fundamental level. He's saying this, that kingdom people are to be as different from those outside of the kingdom, from those in the world, as light is from darkness, as salt is from the thing that it's flavoring or preserving. This observable difference, this obvious difference as a star in the night sky. One translation says, we shine in the midst of a perverted generation. If we're responding to difficulty and challenges the same way that people outside the kingdom respond, then there is no difference. We aren't set apart. We aren't flavoring the world in which we live. We aren't preserving the world in which we live. We aren't lighting up the night and pushing back the shadows. Jesus says that to be salt and to be light means to be distinct, to be peculiar. Are you a peculiar person? Not your personality. Some of you are like, ah, I'm biblical. (laughs) I'm not talking about a personality quirk so much as I am your faith setting you apart in a way that others outside of the kingdom see you as strange. That's weird. That's different. In 1 Peter chapter 1, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So we reflect the king. The kingdom citizens reflect the values of the king and that illuminates our life. It's so radically different from the values of the world. One translation says this, being set apart from the world by your godly character and your moral courage. This fundamental difference, this obvious difference. You go on in in 1 Peter chapter two and he says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, another translation says aliens and strangers to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans those outside the kingdom, 
that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Other translations bring that out. Live such a beautiful life in front of those outside the kingdom, those on the outside looking in, those that are looking at Christianity through the lens of our life, those that are investigating Christ and the only Bible they ever read is me. Live an excellent life, a genuine life, a compelling life. Kingdom people should have a compelling life. Why? Why are you living this way? Why are you so different? A distinct life. Light exposes and salt stings. And this is where the persecution comes from. Light that shines and it exposes the sinfulness of our culture, of our world. Light that shines and it illuminates a spiritual condition of lostness. It illuminates the judgment of God on people's life. And it is a, it is a righteous judgment. Light exposes and salt stings. When you rub salt into an open wound, it's not pleasant. If we were to have spiritual spectacles and you were to put them on, and you were to see the ultimate reality, which isn't the physical, it's the spiritual. The physical is a shadow of the spiritual. Right? Everything, marriage is a metaphor. Marriage is an illustration of the ultimate spiritual truth. So if you were to have some spiritual spectacles on, kingdom people would be illuminated. <laughs> And in the same way, when, when you step into the light, when you come out of darkness into the light, when, when you become a child of light, when you become a living torch, you are the light of the world, Jesus says. So when this happens, when this happens, we show up on the radar of Satan. When you live an illuminated life, you become a target of the enemy. To have the courage And this is the challenge for kingdom people today. To have the courage to stand out from the crowd, resisting the temptation to blend in. To have the courage to speak up for the truth, resisting the temptation to stay silent. To have the courage to do what's right, no matter the cost, resisting the temptation to sacrifice our convictions upon the altar of our comfort. Israel provides a prime example. Called out by God. Of all the nations on the earth, God chose Israel, not because of who they were, but because of who he is. What he could do through a broken people, what he could do through an ordinary people, an inconsistent people, would prove to the world that there is a God in heaven. So Israel is the prime example. They were called out to be different. They were called out to be distinct. They were called out to be holy. Israel, the entire Old Testament, the people of God, they were to show the world what the one true God is really like. You want to know what God's like? Go visit Jerusalem. You want to know what God's like? Go, go watch Israel. But they behaved like everyone else. This is the story of the Old Testament. The inconsistency of God's people. The compromise of their convictions. They, they behaved like every other nation around them. 
with the power politics and the militant revolutions. They compromised their convictions by absorbing the values of the people around them. This was the primary problem in the entire Old Testament. It wasn't military might that overcame the people of God. It was spiritual compromise. It was idolatry. And the same thing is true today. If Israel was a person, right, and they, and they were trying to reflect who God was to the world around them, and they were constantly deluding and polluting themselves by absorbing the values and the customs of the culture, we today... We are the priesthood. We are the people of God. People around us, are we're supposed to show the world what God is like. If you want to know what God's like, watch a Christian. If you want to know what the one true God of the universe, what he's really like, then go to church. But yet, we trip upon the same thing that caused Israel to stumble. They were called to be distinct but they lost their distinctiveness as the people of God. They were called to be salt and light. But here's the scary part for me, the warning for me, is that Israel continued to go through the motions of worshiping God, but at the same time, they were adapting their convictions to accommodate their culture. So it's not, listen, it's not that they stopped going to church. It's that how they were living outside of Sunday was contrary to what they, were, what they were singing about, what they were learning about on Sunday. They, were, they continue to go through the motions. The church, as God's people today, has the, we have the same challenge. How to be in the world, but not of the world. To breathe this polluted air while not being infected by it. To swim in these toxic waters while not acquiring a taste for it. The primary purpose of the salt is to delay or prevent rot. Jesus, and in, in our modern times, we don't get that. All we use salt for is flavor. But that was a secondary purpose in the, in the times of, in the first century. They didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have electricity. So the primary purpose of salt was preservation, to prevent rot. Jesus is saying, listen, by implication, that the world is decaying around us, that the world is rotting, decomposing, the world is polluted and corrupted by sin, and sin is a progressive condition. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, you're the salt of the earth implies rottenness in the earth. It implies a tendency to pollution and to becoming foul and offensive. This is what the Bible has to say about this world. It is fallen, it is sinful, it is bad. Its tendency is to evil and to wars. The world left to itself, it's something that tends to fester. And so how do we, as kingdom people, live in this toxic environment? How do we, as kingdom people, interact with this decomposing culture? One possible response is to escape the corruption, to run away from the rot, and to create a modern-day Masada, this spiritual fortress where we're going to cloister, we're going to make these Baptist monasteries. We're going to run away, and we're going to collect all the salt. We're going to collect all the light in one place. But in doing so, we deny the very message that Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter five, we deny the very mission of the Messiah as he left heaven and came to earth. 
and we deny our own testimony. If God stepped into the sewage of my life and found me, he left the 99 and he came after the one and he still searches for the one that's hurt, that's wounded, that's dirty. Salt must be mixed in with other stuff to make a difference. Salt must be shaken into something. That's the purpose of salt. Whoever orders salt. Have you ever been to a restaurant and said, you know, I'll take a tablespoon of salt. Anybody here ever eat salt by itself? That's not the purpose of salt. The whole nature fundamentally of salt and of light. You don't walk into a room full of light and turn on a flashlight. We must be careful about creating Christian subcultures, meaning we pull the salt out of the world. Even well-intentioned, as we pull the light out of the world, as we pull the salt out of the culture, we must never stockpile salt and hoard light. We must be in the world, but not of the world. You see, Jesus didn't stay on the Mount of Transfiguration. No, he walked down into the valley of humanity. He rubbed shoulders with the least of these. And that's what we're to do as his followers. Every Christian is called to be salt and light. Some here have excused yourself because you heard me say that you're supposed to be holy, and that is a loaded word. John, I'm not a holy roller, brother. Holy, that just sounds like something that you know, missionaries might attain it someday or, you know, rabbis and priests and pastors and professors, holy. But we're missing the point here. Every Christian is called to be salt and light. That means every kingdom person is called to be set apart. It's called to be different. It's called to be holy. Every person. Think about the original audience that Jesus is talking about here. And this doesn't come across in the English, but the Greek construction of this text is emphatic. It says this, you, yes, you, and only you are the salt. You, yes, you, and only you are the light. One commentator says this, consider the group that he's speaking to. A group of decent but deeply flawed disciples, riddled with selfishness, constantly vying for position, nursing grudges, fleeing from danger and discomfort and whining like little kids. That's the group that Jesus originally gave this message to. You. He's not talking to angels. He's not talking to people that have some special spiritual status, some elite level Christian. He's talking to me. Well, sure, you're a pastor. He's talking to you. Christians are called to be the salt and the light. You, yes you, and only you. If we don't become the preservative, no other force on the planet can do it. No other organization, regardless of how successful in their humanitarian efforts, No other group on the planet is capable of shining the light of God. It's the church, the city on a hill, the living torch, the children of light. 
The spiritual illumination can only come from one source, and that is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit only comes from one place, and that is the one God of the Bible. Christians are called to be the salt and the light. This is God's force for good in the world, not government, not education, not nonprofit organizations, not philanthropy. The only source of real salt and the only source of real light is the church, the kingdom people. For what purpose? Well, Jesus tells us here in Matthew chapter five, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So people don't come towards the light to look at the bulb. They come to investigate the light that the bulb produces. Our lives shine because of his light. We are incapable of producing what I'm describing. We cannot create salt. Only God can give us the salt that flavors our life. We cannot produce light. In lostness, we're like a bulb that's dark. Imagine a light bulb. The potential for light is there. Every person, every human being is created in the image of God. And as such, we have an eternal part of us, the soul. But the Bible says that because we're born broken, we're born in sin, that light is extinguished. But through the work of Jesus Christ, the gospel, that that filament in our soul can be energized by the Holy Spirit, can be electrified by the Holy Spirit. That wick in my heart can be ignited by God through his spirit. And that's where the light comes from. The source is not me, my own personal morality. The source is God, and ultimately he gets the glory for it. Our sinful nature is so insidious that even our good deeds are tainted by our pride. Because people will say, look at John. Look at that guy. He's such a good guy. Look what he's doing. He's going to visit people. He's trying to help people. Look at Grant Memorial. Look at that church, all the good things they're doing. Good for you guys are good people. And our sinful nature wants to absorb it. But our call as kingdom people is to reflect it. To say, why am I doing this? Because God. Because the gospel. Many of you today are already doing this. And I want to take a moment to acknowledge you. As a pastor, I don't get an opportunity, unfortunately, to know all of you. But I know enough of you that some of you are living examples and you take away the excuses of the rest of us. You're doing this. You are salty. There are some salty Christians in the room right now. There are some illuminated Christians in the room right now. You are on the radar of the enemy. It's a good thing. Many of you are already doing this, and so I just want to encourage and affirm you to keep it up. In your families, boy, you're, you're interacting and you're having gospel influence in your families, in your neighborhoods, in your communities. You're interacting and, boy, you're salty. These are the kind of people, right? These are the kind of people that change the moral climate of every room they walk in. People act differently. People act differently around kingdom people. And they don't even, they can't even articulate why. It's because 
We, in, in, in the spiritual world, with the spiritual spectacles, we walk in and illuminate. <laughs> you change the moral climate of any room you walk in. So I want to say I'm proud of you as a pastor. If you're in school and you're interacting, if you're playing volleyball, if you're playing baseball and you're interacting with people and you have that gospel influence, that kingdom impact, man, well done. I'm proud of you. The key to living the salty life and the key to living the illuminated life is the same, the Holy Spirit. Some of you say, I can't be holy. John, I can't be holy. If you only knew, brother, what I'm struggling with, you call the police right now. John, if you only knew what I'm, what's going on by, I don't have to know, right? As a matter of fact, if you only knew what was going on in my life, behind me, if our thoughts were projected on the screen, none of us would be safe, right? The key to holy living is the Holy Spirit. The key to the holy life is the Holy Spirit. That's what sets us apart. That's what gives us the capability of making a difference in this world. The electricity of the spirit that ignites the filament of our soul and sets us apart, empowering us to go against the flow of culture and to live different lives, set apart lives. The level of the spirit in our lives determines the wattage of our faith. So the Bible says, and this is, an imperative, a commandment. Be filled with the Spirit. So if you're filled with the Spirit, then you're at full power. You're lighting up the night and you're pushing back the darkness to the best of my ability. God, may you become greater and I become less. More of him, less of me. That's the lifelong process of sanctification as the spirit fills me more and more and the spirit is the presence of Jesus and my wattage increases over time so that 10 years ago I was a 50 watt follower but by God's grace today, I'm a 200 watt follower and by God's grace five years from now, I'm gonna be a 500, 500 watt follower. Ah, ah. I can, I can keep my voice. <laughs> so some of the brightest Christians should be our senior adults. Well, you're just, you're just growing in your sanctification. The real question at the end of the day is, do you have the Holy Spirit? I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm not asking if you're a good person. The first step is letting God flavor your life and letting God light up your life through his spirit. In Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit came down on the church, it came in the form of fire. And it, it ignited them. And look what they did. This group, you, yes, you, and only you, those same people got lit up by the spirit of God and they illuminated the world. It's amazing what God was able to do through these inconsistent, broken, dirty people. The same God that lit up their lives is the God that wants to light up my life. The same spirit that filled them is the spirit that can fill me. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Some here need to receive the spirit for the very first time. Now, some of you are here today and you are checking off the religious box and you're hoping that God takes attendance because at the end of the day, you're hoping that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. That is not the message of the Bible. That is not the gospel. That is not why Jesus came. 
You think that if you do enough good deeds, you're going to end up living a holy life and earn your way into heaven. The only way to be holy is through the Holy Spirit. And some of you today are like this light bulb. And all you need is to be plugged into the power source. And the electricity of the spirit that flows through the filament of your soul that lights up your life. Some of you like a lamp, you know, with this wick. And you've been dark and dry for years. And today's the day where the flame of God ignites the wick of your heart and you begin to shine. Your God-given purpose, your God-given potential to make a difference in this world. Jesus said, a city on a hill. And I'll conclude with this. Some of you need to receive the Holy Spirit for the very first time and it's not complicated. You don't have to take a course in pneumatology. You don't have to memorize Bible verses. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, listen, if you want the Holy Spirit, ask me the way a kid asks his parent for something. That's what he says. He said, approach your heavenly father and say, God, I need you in my life. God, there's darkness below the surface of my life. God, my heart is dirty. I need cleansing below the surface. God, send your Holy Spirit. Save me, God. As a kid comes to their parent and say, God, I need you. The Bible says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Others here, are on the outs- you're on the outside of kingdom community. Jesus said a city on a hill, and that really caught me this week. Right? Never, I've never seen that before. A city on a hill. A city is full of people. We're not called to the kingdom life alone. Have you ever picked up a salt shaker and it has one granule of salt in it? No. It's a, it's a group of salt. Kingdom people are a colony of heaven on earth. And we help each other shine. A city on a hill. Jesus speaks in the plural here, and I gotta say this. Because this spoke to me this week. When he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's a plural you. So a more biblical way of saying that would be y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. So some of you today need to receive that light for the very first time and let the Holy Spirit come into your life and electrify the filament in your soul, ignite the wick in your heart. That's step one. Step out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Step out of wrath and into forgiveness and righteousness. Step out of hell and step into heaven. But the next step is into community. We're not called to the kingdom life alone. Salt is found in shakers and Christians are found in churches. Just look around. With salt and light, it doesn't take much to make a difference, does it? Just a little bit of salt will flavor a pretty big meal. A little bit of light. A little bit of light in complete darkness and in the culture of Jesus, 
They knew what darkness was. Before electricity, one light held up could be seen a mile away and provide hope. Hope for people in the darkness that are lost. And as I look around at me now, I look around at our church and I see the amount of salt. (laughs) We can flavor a city. I see the potential wattage in front of me now, a thousand bulbs. And if we were all shining, we could push back the shadows of our city. And people from the West Coast and the East Coast could look and see something shining in Winnipeg. Massive potential to make a difference, but it starts today. It starts with me. It starts with you. Heavenly Father, we give you this time. Lord, for those here that need to receive your spirit for the very first time, God, I pray, oh God, that they would call out to you in faith through grace. And that your spirit, God, oh, your spirit would come into their life. Oh God, give them a spiritual pulse. Give them spiritual life illuminate electrify their soul light them on fire with your spirit and for those that maybe are outside the city trying to do this life on their own Lord help them to pack it in and move into community God to let down the drawbridge and let you in to let down the drawbridge and let your people in that we can shine together. In Jesus' name. If you're looking for ways to connect, find us on Facebook or YouTube. Just check out the show notes for details. Thank you for tuning in. I hope and pray that this has been a blessing in your life. And I hope that you'll continue the conversation with God by opening his word for yourself. Love y'all.